0: This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level.
1: Hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. It bears repeating that this is the show where we talk about markets, futures, forex, trader psychology occasionally deep introspections of metaphysics and the existential nature of life, and we're always doing it with the professionals who know it best. My name is Jack Pelzer, and I am or was your interim host turned curator of this podcast for the time being. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as you hear my nasally drone fade into oblivion. Today we're proud to present part two of our interview between the new host of Limit Up, Jeff Carter, and retired Army Major General Carl Horst. If you haven't listened to Part 1, I highly recommend that you do so. I sure did, and it completely changed my life. Obviously, it's only been a week, but I already feel like I'm a more effective leader. I'm now confident. I walk with a swagger. I'm no longer casually ignored in group conversations. I've lost three pounds. Traders, this is the inspirational power of General Horst and his principles of leadership. You owe it to yourself to listen to this entire interview. But if you already have, that's great, too. You're about to get some more amazing life advice from General Horse that will make you a better trader and ideally a better person, too. But before we do all that, let's get a read on the markets with TopStep's very own man with the plan, Mark Meadows, in this week's Market Reaction.
2: Last week, I said I'd check out as of Tuesday at noon and I did. So I don't, at least at this recording, know how Friday's employment report ended up. I'm guessing markets didn't really react either. But if I miss something, that's okay too. And that's what I want to talk about this week. It's not monopoly money. Whether you're trading live or in a trading combine, there is real money and a lot of sweat equity invested in your trading. So why are we so cavalier with it? Odds are, that if you're anything like me, you know you shouldn't trade sometimes and do it anyway. Rarely does that work out. So you get into the cycle of spending a week pushing your luck and then spending the weekend dwelling on your mistakes. It's not healthy. And that's coming from experience. Instead, regardless of whether this was your best week ever or your worst, I hope you'll take some time to do some non-trading related things this weekend. Take a nap, order in food, Netflix, sure, but just chill. A healthy mind will lead to a refreshed outlook and better trading. Here's to hoping that for you. And that's your market reaction. Thank you, Mark.
1: Discipline and leadership are like the brick and mortar of success. That's something that I made up, which is probably why I have never been asked to write a book about leadership. But General Carl Horst sure has. It's called Common Sense Leadership, and Jeff and the General are about to explore how being a better leader will improve almost every facet of your life. I'll get out of the way now and let you enjoy part two of this very special Limit Up interview with retired Army Major General and President of the Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation, Carl Horst.
0: As we go through your leadership tips, one of them is an effective leader must be clear and concise in his verbal and written communication. Plato said, wise men talk because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. It's an interesting thing to say because a lot of times I've been around leaders that sort of have diarrhea of the mouth, let's say. How many times have you been in a meeting and you walked out after your boss has talked to you for
3: however long he yeah. talked to you? How many times have you walked out of the room and say? So what the heck did he just say? What did he mean? What does he want us to do? Right,
0: so many meetings are pain in the
3: they're just pain yeah. in the ass, right? Yeah. Well, and, and so I will tell you and it, it probably my staff would probably give you a a, a different idea <laughs> but every meeting that I go into I sit down and write out an agenda and I start off with here are the priorities of the organization that we're working on. Here are the near-term actions that need to take place to support these priorities. Yes. Here are the things that I'm working on. Here are the things that I would like you to tell me you're working on to update me. Right. And I'm a voracious note taker. Right. Which drives people crazy. Right. Because I write everything down. Principally because- With I'm your not, hands,
0: not typing into a computer. No, no. With, yeah, with, yeah, with By hand. Yeah. Because I'm not smart
3: enough to remember all that stuff. Right. But I am a copious note taker. Yeah. And so I always take notes. Interesting. Um, and then I circle back uh, and I ask questions- Uh, Last week, we talked about this. Uh, I'd like you to update
0: me on where we are with that. And if you're a startup entrepreneur listening to this, this is how to run a board meeting. (laughs) But it goes back to that
3: leadership tip. You must be clear and concise in both verbal and written communication. Right. Because if you're not, you're wasting people's time. That's right. And you're not giving them the guidance that they need from you to do what you want them to do. Yep
0: to meet the end
3: state you expect from them.
0: So then you say manage expectations, both your own and those who work around you. Tell people what you expect. Give guidance. Give them authority to act on your behalf. That's delegation. Interesting. And tell them what you want the end product to look like and praise them for their work. Tell them thank you. If it goes well, it's their success. But if it goes badly, it's your responsibility for not giving clear enough guidance and supervisory support. I think this is a very, very, very complex and difficult one. Um, no, it's not. It's really very easy. You think it's very easy. I think it's really easy. I think this is a tough one for leaders to do. I think it's Today. really easy because yeah. now we're getting into
3: now we're getting into what's your level of competence?
0: So so I am not a controlling personality type. I'm not either. I know a lot of people that are and how do they delegate? They wind up doing a lot of stuff themselves and then feeling overworked because of that. So uh, I had a company commander uh, who was one of those people that that was
3: a very micromanager kind of guy. So in the morning, at the morning meeting, he would give me my mission, Horst. uh, This is your mission. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. And it just irritated me to no end because what I really want to say was, if you've already told me how to do it, then you don't need me. Just give me my mission. Tell me what you want to look like at the end and let me fill in the space in between mission and end state. Let me come up with a solution. But if you're going to tell me what the solution is, you don't need me. You've already figured it out. Right. Okay. And so what I said was, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be different. Patton also said that in a different way. I'm going to be different. And so what I did is I gave people a mission. I gave them... My intent, my right. commander's intent, Right. this is what I want it to look like when you finish. Mm-hmm. And then I would brief, I would ask them to brief me back. What did I tell you to do? And they said, sir, you gave me this mission and this is what you want it to look like at the end. And here's a couple particular points that are important to consider along the way. And I'd say, Roger, you got it. Now go do good work. You delegate, but you give clear guidance, you Mm -hmm. give a clear end state. Right. And make sure they understand what you've told them and then check and supervise to make sure they're doing okay.
0: Do you care how they get to the end goal as long as they get to the end goal within the values and all that? As long as you don't
3: violate your integrity or do something unethical to get there. uh, No, I don't care how you get there. Okay. That's how you learn. Right. You know, I didn't learn diddly (laughs) from a company commander that said this, 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 and this. But I learned a lot when I got to fill in the space between here's the mission, here's what it looks like at the end. And the important thing, the important thing becomes accountability. So if if things go well, you got to hoist up those people uh, and say the success belongs to this person or this team because here's what they did. If they fail, look at and look at Eisenhower. You know Eisenhower. Yeah, had the letter. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he had two messages. Yeah, yeah, he did. He had the one that he read, and right. then he had the one that he was prepared to read if it didn't go well. Which is an
0: amazing. And message. what
3: he said was, the men and women of the armed forces gave their very best effort, and any shortcomings or failings are my responsibility and my responsibility alone.
0: It's an amazing document. How many people?
3: And how many in business? Right. How many in politics – how many people in politics – Zero. <laughs> so, so you know, why was Eisenhower a really good president? Accountability.
0: So if it goes badly, it's yours. If it goes successful, it's theirs. I'm in a corporate environment. I want to move up the corporate ladder. I'm the manager. I give all the credit. And then in corporate environments, they can be crazy political. Sure. So somebody will grab it and then try to leapfrog me. That, maybe that's a fear that a manager might have. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a fear you've got to come to grips with because
3: I believe at the end of the day that there are people out there that respect accountability. I respect someone who says, I take responsibility for right. this. And so you can't have a fear of failure. And, you know, like I said with the warrior ethos, the, the third part of the warrior ethos was I will never accept defeat. The in parentheses is you're going to see defeat. Yeah. The key is, is what do you learn from it? Right. And do you repeat it? I will not accept defeat.
0: I'm going to see it, but I'm not going to accept it. So I'm working for you. I fail. I have to come in and say, sir, I failed. How do you handle it? My first question to you is, is did
3: I fail to give you clear guidance? Did I fail you by not?
0: clearly stating what I expected
3: and what I wanted
0: it to look like. So I say no. I say, nope, the orders were clear. I screwed up. I totally messed it up. The next line of questioning is, okay, well, let's take a look at it. What'd you learn from it? And
3: how did you deviate from the intent that I gave you that would have set you up for success? How did you get off track that led you to that solution? So that gets into acceptable mistakes, when you coach and teach and train people through honest mistakes that they have made, that's redeemable.
0: So let's talk about that a little bit. As So now I make the mistake. Some people will remember that mistake forever and constantly bring it up. Not probably a good way to lead, even jokingly. So that that gets into treating people
3: with dignity and respect. And it also gets into having a sense of humor. You know, you can poke fun at people, but not in a personal demeaning way. Right. Making fun of someone's shortfalls. Uh, You know, the Germans have a word for it. It's called schadenfreude. Yeah. Schadenfreude is, is taking advantage of someone's failings. Right. Okay. I don't think that's a good way. And if you repeatedly bring up someone's failures and hold it over their head, what kind of an environment do you create? But Mm -hmm. more importantly, what does it say
0: about you as a leader? Very true. And this is leadership tip six, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) we just kind of transitioned into Sure. Yeah. What does that say about you? You know, you can
3: take failures. You can take shortcomings. You can learn from them. You can coach. You can teach. Mm -hmm. You can mentor. And you can work through it. But it shouldn't be a personal millstone that hangs around your neck that people remind you. I mean, if that was the case, I would have never gone beyond a second lieutenant. Okay? I'd have tapped out as a second lieutenant. Right. But like I told you, I I spent 40 years making mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And so what it did was, you know, mistakes are things that you learn from. It's a part, it's a part of taking and, and, risks. And there are things that I will never, ever do again mm-hmm. because I've screwed it up once before
0: or – Try not to make it twice. So you say leadership seven, you hear this a lot. Lead by personal example. Don't sure. ask people to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Sure.
3: I'm a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. Right. So here's the interesting thing. Paratroopers in the 82nd Airborne Division, the commander is always the first guy out the door. And, and I draw this dichotomy for large mounted armored formations. Mm-hmm. The division commander is not in the lead tank on the movement to contact. Okay. He's someplace else. In the 82nd Airborne Division, in the 101st Airborne Division, first guy out the door is the leader. Right. Okay. I commanded a battalion in the 82nd. I commanded a brigade in the 82nd. Right. When I was the commander, I was always the number one jumper left door Mm -hmm. leading by personal example. Right. Let me give you another example. Yeah. As a battalion and brigade commander, I maintain my proficiency as a current jumpmaster. Ha. So what is the most important thing about getting to the fight And if you're in the 82nd? You've got to jump. Yeah. And so as a commander, as the keeper of the standards, and, and my job is always watching, looking to make sure we maintain standards. And, and if there's a jump master, say a staff sergeant or a sergeant first class or mm-hmm. a captain or or whatever, um, that doesn't perform jump master duties to standard, mm-hmm. and I say to them – you failed to maintain the standard here, here, and here. The first question they're going to ask is, is, oh yeah, Colonel, when's the last time you were a jump master? <laughs> well, I took that off the table. Yeah. Because everybody in the organization knew that I was a current jump master. Right. And so as the senior guy in the organization, I had the credibility and the competency to say, you failed to meet the standard and here's the reason why. And they know
0: that I perform the same duties right. that they did. Now, and the, do I
3: have to do that?
0: No. And the next guys, though, better be at that same level. Well, when I was a brigade right.
3: commander, I made every battalion commander be a current jumpmaster. That's right. To which they'd say, well, you know, sir, I, that's really not my job. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it Isn't is. Isn't there a better use of my
3: time? No, there's not. Yeah. Because if you're going to be the keeper of the standards, you have to be current and competent In those standards. But most importantly, your subordinates need to know you are current and competent in those standards. Right. Interesting. So that's lessons learned uh, as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division.
0: (laughs) Um, Leadership tip eight, be thoughtful of others. Never pass up an opportunity to be polite and positive. Treat other people with dignity and respect and say please and thank you a lot. A lot.
3: So I work for a four-star general, Gordon Sullivan. Uh, wonderful, wonderful human being, yeah. wonderful leader, wonderful mentor. Mm-hmm. He always treated people, he treated rank-and-file soldiers with the same degree of dignity and respect that he treated his fellow four-stars. Right. So when you see him interact with junior enlisted people and you have the, the leader of the entire army is treating them with dignity and respect. Right. They didn't turn to others and say, so what the heck's wrong with the rest of us? So he would say, yes, sir, no, sir. And people would say, but general, you don't – why do you call me sir? He said, because I'm showing you the same respect and dignity that I expect you to treat me with. And so because I'm a general, you're obliged to to call me sir. Mm -hmm. But because I respect you, I reciprocate and call you sir as well. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And I will tell you, I did it as a battalion commander. I used to drive people crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it drive people crazy. And it's it, not
0: protocol. And
3: said, <laughs> it, it, it might not be protocol, but yeah. that's that's my style. And so I say yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I start most of my emails with thank you, right. or I conclude them with thank you. You know, my my notes are thank you for your note. I appreciate hearing from you. Yeah, and people go, why do you do that? I said because I'm treating people with dignity and respect. And you can't you can't you know, fake that. You can't fake it, and I just have to tell you, the current political environment in Washington Mm -hmm. is absolutely devoid of that behavior.
0: Yes. And for me, I find it so irritating. It used to be on the Senate, like they'd say that the House was the simmering tea and the Senate was the cooling saucer. And The lack of civility and the lack of being
3: able to have a discussion and disagree, Mm -hmm. but disagree in a respectful way. That doesn't exist anymore. As soon as you have a differing opinion, then we start with labeling and name calling and and all. And it's like, no,
0: no. It feels like, and my wife and I talk about this, you've gone from like in our lifetimes, you had sort of a news cycle or whatever. And then you had the 24 hour news cycle. And then you had to distill everything down to a soundbite. And now it's, and distill everything to to a tweet to 140 characters or um you know and i wonder how much social media because of the dopamine hits that you get from being on it and the way it spreads and the way that you can have mobs attack people who don't know each other um how much that contributes to it and how do you stop it so i will tell you that my approach to it is and and so
3: I grew up as an analog person. Yeah. Okay. My first year at West Point, uh, starting my engineering curriculum right. and math and all that, mm-hmm. my calculator was a slide rule. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a product of the analog world. Right. I have made the digital information age migration so that I now command and control the Medal of Honor Foundation off my iPhone. Right. So It's amazing, isn't it? I'm a digital information age immigrant. I don't do social media. Yeah, interesting. At all. Interesting. I don't do
0: Facebook. I don't do Twitter. I don't do any of it. It's What's interesting is when I started investing in companies back in 2007, in the pitch you'd say, how are you going to get customers? We're going to have social media. And so that's how I got into it was if I'm investing in this, I want to find out how hard it is to Interact, deal with customers and stuff. And it's really hard to the point where there's actually a rubric, 30-10-10, where um, if you have a million signups, 30% of those people will interact with your platform once a month. 10% of the 30 will interact once a week and 10% of that interact every day. So that million comes down to a very small number. And so if you're basing your revenue projections on all the signups, you better take it down quite a bit. Well, I would tell you, Jeff, um,
3: if I was 30 years younger, yeah. um, I would probably have a different approach to things. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd be on LinkedIn. I'd be on Facebook. I'd be on Twitter. I'd yeah. be on on those social media platforms that people that are 34 years old
0: feel the need to do. Well, I think we're finding out, though, because we don't know much about them, really. Sure. Because they're young. I mean, Facebook is – not even a 20-year-old company. And Google's been around since 2000. And so I don't know that we know everything about how it decreases the civility in social intercourse or not. It's just sort of like the judge that says it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck, so it must be a duck.
3: I I mean, I would tell you, uh, I don't know what I don't know about what I'm missing on social media, but I do know that I'm not missing anything by not being on social media.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Okay,
3: and I don't know at this stage of my life, uh you know i I don't see any advantage to any of it. Yeah, and and I even people say, well, you know, you need to be on LinkedIn and that and I said, why do I need to be on LinkedIn? I'm retired once, right? And I'm at a stage in life where I do what the heck I want to do. Right. So why do I need to be on LinkedIn?
0: I'm not looking for a job, and I don't. You know, it it doesn't serve a purpose for me. Conversely. As an association, the Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation. Has a Facebook, has a Twitter. <laughs> Somebody else runs it.
3: Somebody runs it for me. Yeah, right. You know why? Because I don't want to. Right. I have people that do that for me. I got peeps. Right, peeps. Okay? I, got pe- <laughs> I got peeps that do that for me, but don't look for me on LinkedIn because right.
0: you aren't going to find me. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I went on LinkedIn to and find And you can't me. find me. I can't find you. <laughs> we were going to connect. Leadership number nine, don't forget where you came from, how you got to where you are, and then remember, you didn't do it all on your own. Every one of us, at some point in time, have an
3: obligation to pay it forward. And anybody who thinks that they got to where they're at on their own, they're kidding themselves. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I had, I mean, even as independent as I have been in my entire career, um, I had mentors along the way Sure, that helped me. Let me tell you one of the most valuable experiences I had, being an enlisted guy.
3: Look, I know where I came from, okay? You know, part of the dignity and respect thing is, you know, when I was a private, I had people do the neutron dance on my forehead and Mm -hmm. I didn't really appreciate it. Right. And so knowing where I came from, how I got to where I did, and what I like and what I don't like is important.
0: It is important.
3: you got to remember where you come from. But more importantly, who helped you along the way, and what is your obligation to pay it forward to others mm-hmm. as you were taken care of in your formative years?
0: Right. And in an organizational sense, of course, that allows yeah. the DNA of that organization to go forward and survive. Leadership number ten. That's my favorite. Maintain a healthy sense of humor and use it liberally. It says, I am a diehard New York Yankees fan. I'm sorry about that, but Seattle, check this, New York check, check the stats. <laughs> Check check the stats. So listen, I'm a Cub fan. So well, we've uh, had a different sh- history. Time. Well, finally, we sent Joe
3: Madden to you, and you guys got out of that 108 year slump. But yeah, you know, right, right. You know, I got I got 27 World <laughs> Series championships. But here's here's how it really comes into play. I put it out there, and I let everybody know that I was a Yankees fan. Now I got to tell you, I've had some long, hard years as a Yankees <laughs> fan. When? <laughs> I, I, I've, I've had I've had some really
0: good years as a yeah. Yankees. I've been yeah. a
3: Yankees fan since 1961. Wow.
0: Oh, Mickey Mantle. So here yeah, it was. There you so, go.
3: No, I'll, I'll tell you straight up. Because there
0: was. was no pro baseball in Seattle back there then. There
3: wasn't. That was my first year of Little League, 1961. First year of Little League. Coach says, pick a team. Pick a player that plays your position. Follow that player and learn the game of baseball and follow that team and – Learn a game of baseball. Right. So I was a catcher. So there was a guy named Yogi. Ha! And I said, Yogi, I like this. Right, right. So I like Yogi. And then he had a buddy named Mickey. And he had another buddy named Roger. You know, Roger hit 61 home runs that year. That's right. Yankees won the pennant and the World Series. Yep. And I said, you know, I like them guys with the pinstripes. Because they are winners. They win. 61. Right. Okay. I was six years old. Wow. 1961. uh, And I said- I like those guys. Yeah. And I just stayed with them. And I my parents disowned me <laughs> because baseball came to Seattle. Uh, the Seattle pilots were there. Uh, the pilots got shipped off to Milwaukee and right. there was a void again. And then the Mariners came. Right. And my, my parents were diehard Mariners fans and yeah. they just didn't understand what was wrong with me and why I was a <laughs> Yankees fan. Um, but let me tell you how it played out. Everybody in the battalion knew I was a, a Yankees fan. And so – it opened up a dialogue box with people in the battalion that would never, ever talk to me in other cases. Right. So a private would not walk up to me and say, hey, Colonel, what do you think about this? But they knew that I was a Yankees fan. Yeah. And someone would say, hey, sir, check the box scores last night. Yeah. Or, hey, sir, sucks to be you and a Yankees fan. Right. So it opened up an avenue for dialogue and discussion with right. people who would not normally approach me. Right. But because they knew I had a sense of humor, because they knew that, that I would respond to Yankees
0: taunting or praising, right? Um, they felt comfortable to talk to me. So there could be practical jokes around the Yankees as long as it wasn't personal. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: It never becomes personal. Right. And you can have a lot of fun with sports or whatever – Find something that gives you common ground that allows you to open the dialogue box, to have a sense of humor, but not in a negative, derogatory way. You can't personalize your sense of humor to hurt someone or to right, get at them. Right. And right. so I found that sports was safe because you could talk about, you know, getting a snot kicked out of you last night at Yankee Stadium or in Fenway right. or, you know, pick a ballpark. And, you know, baseball is great because some days you're doing good and other days you're not doing good. And, and you know, people say, hey, sir, sucks to be you right yeah. now, right? Yeah. But they wouldn't normally say that to you. Yeah. I mean, why would a private walk up to a colonel and say, hey, sir, sucks to be you. No standing to do it. Right. But if you've got that common denominator mm-hmm. and then they realize, well, oh, he's a real guy. I mean, right. he likes baseball. He probably drinks beer too. Right. So I found that to be a very useful tool to interact with people and to demonstrate to people that leaders don't live on podiums and don't live in glass houses, <laughs> uh, you know, we're just normal people yeah. that, you know, are a little farther along on the journey than others are.
1: Well, listeners, that was quite something, wasn't it? Once again, everyone here at Top Step really wants to thank General Horse for stopping by our studio. We learned a lot, and he was just one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. The whole gang will be back next week with a brand new episode with a brand new guest, who I can almost guarantee will not be another general. In the meantime, be sure to join the Top Step Trader community on Facebook, read the blog, follow us on Instagram, swipe us on Tinder. You know the drill. There might also be another session of Trader Therapy in the near future. But unfortunately, I am just too psychologically wounded right now to do it. And that's because I just don't know how I'm going to go on at all after user Christian L on SoundCloud commented that my Jim Kramer bit a few weeks back was, quote, really stupid and a waste of time. Well, you know what, Christian L? Ouch. You know, you got me. You win. From now on, I will only cater to the whims of you, Christian L. But you know what? Thank you for listening anyway. Your criticism is blunt but deserved. I hope you stick around so that I can personally make things up to you. You know, you're like the biological dad that I'm unable but desperate to please. God, I really hope Christianelle thinks I'm cool still. Anyway, that's all we have for this week in the markets. So until next time, namaste and trade well.
0: This episode produced by Dante32.